Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing and worshiping with us today. We're glad that you are here. You're visiting. We're especially glad that you're with us today uh, in person or online. We're glad that you guys are with us today. Uh, Last month, we recognized in January National Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we uh, sponsor an organization called Love Life, and they take 40 weeks out of the year, and they have a walk, and every church that supports them gets to sponsor a Love Life Week, and today begins our Love Life Week. And so we're glad that you're with us. I see a lot of teal blue in here for those of you wearing your Love Life shirts. Thanks for the support there. Uh, I'll give you a quick breakdown of what we're going to do. This week is on Wednesday is a fast day. Maybe you want to give the whole day to fasting. Maybe you want to fast for a meal. Jason, I can't fast for a whole day. That's fine. Fast a meal or fast a coffee. Do some kind of fasting and give Wednesday to prayer this week. And then on Saturday, we're going to meet at uh, Woman's Choice on Randleman Road in Greensboro. We're going to have our walk. Uh, Everyone in this room, if you are physically able to get in here today, you can go on this walk with us, and we're going to have a great time walking for life. We'll uh, worship a little bit. We'll have some time of prayer. Pastor Rob's going to share a challenge on Saturday, but we'd love to meet you out there. Any information that you want to know about that event that I did not cover, we have a table right out here in Kids Cafe with some more information for you. They're handing out brochures, but that is our Love Life Week. It begins today, and I'm going to give a thought today on the sanctity of Life. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the very beginning, and I'll be there in just a moment. Genesis chapter number 1. You may not know this about me, but I always considered myself to be more of a lover than a fighter. I uh, never got into a lot of fights when I was a kid. My parents would tell you that. Even as a teenager, I didn't get myself into a lot of fights, and I've never boxed before, and that can be seen with the fact that these are the gloves I got on Amazon, and they're huge. I don't know what weight class this is for, but I just got a big pair so you could see. But I, I never really got into a lot of boxing. I never got into a lot of fights, but there were these two guys uh, in college that I want to tell you about. When I was a kid, I would, I would always, um, anytime there would be like a skirmish as kids, I, I took the more political route, like, hey, guys, boys, can we, do we really have to fight about this? Like, let's just, let's settle down. Do we have to go to blows over something like this? Now, I never had a conversation with these on, I'll tell you that, uh, or else it would have been a different story, I think. I would have felt a little more empowered with these. But I never got into a lot of fights, and most of the time I could talk my way out of a fight uh, more times than not. But when I was in college, there were these two guys who were just bent on fighting. And I went to a Christian college where they were training pastors, and so we didn't see a whole lot of fights Uh, So it was really exciting when these two guys were talking about fighting, and ultimately it was all talk. Uh, This guy was like, I could take this guy down, and I could take this guy down, and they talked about it all the time. And then finally it was like, why don't you guys just go? Why don't you guys just fight? Let's do it in the dorm one night, and they decided they were going to do it. So they picked a night. These two guys' names were Matt and Ben. Now, Matt was shorter But he was so wide, and he was huge, and he would drink protein shakes, and he could bench press uh, like more than his body weight. Like, this guy was crazy, and he was super strong, and I thought, well, Matt is a pretty good opponent, but he was fighting this guy named Ben, and Ben was taller, had a longer reach, and skinny, but he was also very strong. And I thought, this would be a pretty decent fight if they were to wrestle each other. They decided to wrestle, and coincidentally, this fight took place my junior or senior year, and it happened right outside of my dorm room door. And this was awesome. It was an all-guys dorm. I opened the door. There's the fight. It's going to take place in the hallway. And I was really excited about this because we don't see a lot of fights in Christian college. I don't know if you ever went to Christian college or you ever trained to be a pastor, but we don't have a lot of fights there. And so this was very exciting. I thought about selling tickets, but I thought about that too late. Anyway, right outside my door was where the fight was going to take place. And Ben and Matt were getting ready to wrestle it out. 
and fight right outside my door. So I remember opening the door. These two guys were there ready to fight. At least 50 guys were around in a circle ready to watch this fight. So they started going at it, and they were, you know, there was no, not really any rules. This lasted for about two or three minutes, and it was, it was more of a skirmish, more than, more than a real fight. And they were, you know, Matt would get an advantage, then Ben would get an advantage. And so Matt was a bigger, stronger guy. After about two or three minutes of fighting, he got frustrated and said, I'm bigger and stronger than this guy. I'm just going to take him. And so he whipped him around and put him in a headlock. And at the time that he got him in a headlock, we're all standing there like, oh, well, fight over. This stinks. He's got to tap out. And Ben's like, I'm not tapping out. And we were like, Ben, you're done. You, you, have, you have to tap out. You have to say, I'm done. Well, Ben knew that if I tap out, then Matt wins the fight. And he's like, I, I think I can get out of it. And we're like, we don't think that you can. You are in a chokehold, and this guy's going to put you to sleep. You got you to tap out. And he said, no, I'm not tapping out. Well, Matt says, did he tap out? We're like, no, he's, he's refusing to tap out. He said, well, I'm not letting go until he taps out, because Matt knew that if Ben didn't tap out, then it was, it was still wide open as to who was a better fighter. So Ben would refuse to tap out, and Matt refused to let go. So this went on for about 15 seconds. And then finally, after about 15 seconds of Matt having been in the chokehold, Ben just kind of went limp, and then he fell onto the floor. And I'd not seen a lot of fights in person before, and so my first thought was, he's dead. <laughs> I have witnessed a murder. I'm going uh, to have to show up in court and give a testimony of what I saw that took place right outside my dorm room. I thought he was dead, and they're like, is he okay? Is he okay? They're like, I don't know. He's limp. He's totally limp. What do we do? And a buddy of mine standing there had a cup of water in his hand, he splashed it in Ben's face, and he, he woke up. He's like, what happened? What happened? We're like, dude, you didn't tap out. You lost, and you looked ridiculous as you laid here. We thought you were dead. We didn't know it on that day, but as I consider it today, uh, there was a fight where life could have been at stake. Of course, it could have been a lot more serious than it actually was. Whether or not you believe it or whether or not you want to admit it, there is a fight today that all of us are involved in where the stakes are much higher than tapping out or going limp or being put to sleep. We are in the fight of your life. It's the fight of my life. It's the fight of this generation's lives. And today we're going to talk about that concept, the fight of your life. Human life today has little to no value in the opinions of mainstream media and those that are the loudest, but Jesus considered life to be his greatest of all creations. Genesis 1 tells us what took place in the very beginning. I personally believe that Genesis 1 was not allegorical or metaphorical or subjective. I believe Genesis 1 literally happened. And the reason I believe it literally happened is because in the New Testament, Jesus affirmed what was said in Genesis 1. And if you take Jesus literally, you have to take Genesis 1 literally too because Jesus said, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. The same was in the beginning. So if Jesus was in the beginning and I take His ministry literally, I also have to take Genesis 1 literally literally as well. It's not allegorical. It's not metaphorical. It literally happened. So look with me, if you would, at Genesis chapter 1. I want to start by just reading two verses this morning as we get into this thought. Genesis 1, look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and other creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If you're looking for a more attacked scripture in all of the Bible in 2022, look no further than these two verses. 
In these two little verses in the first chapter of the Bible, it solves problems in our society today such as race and gender confusion and same-sex marriage and traditional marriage and identity and authority and pro-life. All of those issues are representative in these two verses of Genesis 1. Race, we were all created by God equal. Right there. Gender confusion, they were created male and female. There were no other options. There are still no other options today. There's marriage between a male and a female. In verse 28, they were told to multiply or replenish the earth. Newsflash, two males can't do that and two females can't either. It's solved right here. Uh, identity, we were all created in the image of God. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what abilities you have or don't have. Your identity should be tied to the fact that you were created in the very image of God. Authority, we're all over the animals, but we're under God. Pro-life, all mankind is created in the image of God and therefore has a right to life. But that's not what the mainstream media and culture will tell you today. They don't tell you that everyone has a right to life, that some are worthy of life and some aren't. A mother's womb should be the safest place in the world for an unborn baby, but that's no longer the case. Today, his mother's womb is just as dangerous as any other place for an unborn baby. That should not be the case. You may not believe it. You may not want to admit it, but you are in a fight today, and all of us are. It's the fight for life. And when we're in the fight, we've got to lace them up. And today, that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes this morning. From this passage, I want to point out three components of the fight that we are all in. Whether you know it or not, whether you admit it or not, or whether you choose to believe it, we are in the fight of our lives. If you're taking notes, number one is the perversion of the fight. The perversion of the fight. You have been fed a lie. You've been fed a lie. Uh, you've been fed uh, something that's a fabrication, that's not true, that there's no merit for several years. I've known people that have had pets, and some people have dogs, you know, some normal people, and there's some not-so-normal people that have cats and lizards and snakes and other, other weird things. Um, we, uh, we have a lady in our neighborhood, and I was hesitant to share this in the first service, but I'm already, I'm already waist-deep in this one, too. There's a lady in our neighborhood who owns a cat, and she likes to take her cat on walks in our neighborhood. And I, I think that's great. I think she loves her pet and she wants to get some outside time. But what's unusual is that this lady puts her cat in a stroller and pushes the stroller around our entire neighborhood. And I see that and I'm like, this cat is getting no exercise. Like I don't, the exercise must be for you and you don't want to leave the cat at home. But every time I see this lady pushing her stroller with a cat, like peeking out the side, I think to myself, that cat has got it made. That is the greatest life you could ever consider. Like this cat literally has everything it wants. If that's what we'll do outside walking around the neighborhood, what is going on inside that house for this cat? Like it's an amazing situation that this cat has found himself in. We, um, we got a dog last year. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I love our dog. I like our dog. His name is Kobe. Here's a, here's a photo of Kobe. Um, Kobe is a miniature golden doodle. He was born in March, and we got him in May. So he is almost a year old. And, and, and I, like, I like Kobe. He's a good dog, or as Sophia calls him, Bobby. She calls him Bobby because she can't say Kobe yet. But we have a good time with Bobby at our house. Uh, Desiree has started really working with our dog to train him. He's bell trained. And what that means is when he has to go potty, he goes to the back door, and with his nose, he nudges the little bells. And so we'll open the door, and he'll go outside, and he doesn't, he doesn't make any messes in the house. He goes outside, and he does his business. That's one of the tricks 
that he's learned. Uh, When I say the word walk, he goes to the garage door and stands next to the leash because he knows that it's time for him to go on a walk. And if he's lucky, he'll see the cat lady pushing her stroller around. He always loves to see them. Uh, We tell him that it's time to go to bed, and he walks into his crate and lays down on his pillow. This is the coolest trick of all. Desiree learned how to do this. She'll give him table food, and she'll, she'll give him a little bit of table food, and he'll eat it. And then she'll do this. She'll drop the table food, and she'll say, leave it, leave it, and he'll leave it. And she'll walk away, and she'll walk into another room and peek over the kitchen counter, and she'll say, leave it, and he's just there staring at the food. And then she'll say, okay, you can have it, and then he'll eat it. And I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy. Could you try that on our kids? That's really cool how they can teach dogs what to do. It's crazy. It's amazing. He's a good dog, and he's a smart dog. But we're not crazy. We don't push him around in the stroller, and we don't buy clothes and shoes for him. I don't have a a separate college fund for my dog, and he's not on my prayer list. And, you know, we don't treat him like we do the kids. And do you know why? It's he's, he's great, but He's a dog, okay? He's a dog. And our culture has, has fed you this lie into believing that dogs and cats and animals and pets are on the same level or greater than our children. I like my dog, but I got to tell you, if I got to choose between my dog and my kids, I'm choosing my kids. If I got to choose between my dog and your kids, I'm choosing your kids. If I got to choose between my dog and you, I'm still probably choosing you. Because we were created in the image of God, and it's what separates us from everything else that God created. Genesis 1, verse 25, they were created after their kinds and after their image. That's a mago day, because ultimately, unlike animals, we were created in the image of God. Uh, it's more than just raw emotions. We have a moral capacity. We have a spiritual capacity and an intellectual capacity that animals do not have. What's even more amazing than that is that we were created in the image of God. I don't fully understand what that means. I've never seen God. I've never been with him in person. I don't know how my image reflects him. All I know is that it does, and it's different from everything else that God created. It's what's amazing about us. He says, let us make man in our image, a triune God making man in his own image. Dogs are great, but they're not the same as our kids. We have a moral compass. Dogs have no morals. My dog, Kobe, is ruled by three things, fear, food, and females. That's all he cares about in his life. That's what dominates his thoughts, his thinking, and it's reflective in the way that he lives his life. But dogs don't have morals. They don't question their purpose in life. There's never been a time when it's just been me and my dog sitting there, and he says, hey, Jay, what is the purpose for me anyway? He's never said that. He never thinks that. He doesn't wonder if there's life after death. Dogs don't know anything about value. They don't value anything. If you leave something valuable out and then leave your house, your dog is not going to go up to it and sniff it and say, hmm, this, this smells valuable. I better not mess with this. They don't understand value like we do. They're great, but they're dogs. And the perversion of the fight that we're in is that your culture has preconditioned you into believing that we are just like them, and we're not. Animals have no morals, so why should we? Animals aren't monogamous, so then why should we be? Animals don't value life. Why should we? Turn over a page to Genesis 5. I want to share this phenomenon that I read this week with you. 
A pattern begins to develop with humanity, and it's been going on now for some time. Genesis 5, look at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. You see, Adam's son was made in Adam's image and so on and so forth. You have characteristics in your personality, in your chemical makeup that is reflective of your parents. You were created in the image of your parents and they were created in the image of their parents. And on and on it has gone because we were all created in the image of God. When we give birth to a child, he or she bears our resemblance. It's because they were conceived in our likeness and our image because life begins at conception. Listen to a few of these verses. Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Job 15.14, what is man that he can be pure? Or who is born of woman that he can be righteous? Psalm 51.5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Because life begins at conception. Regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of background, regardless of any other perceived value, life begins at conception, which means we are all valuable to God because we were all created in his likeness and therefore we are all worthy of life, even those that have not yet been born, especially those that have not yet been born. But you've been fed a perverted lie that there's no life at conception. This is a book by Randy Alcorn entitled Pro-Choice or Pro-Life. It's available back at our table for Love Life. I want to read an excerpt of this. Joseph Fletcher is a professor at the University of Virginia. He argued that an individual is not considered a person unless he has an IQ of at least 40, is self-aware, and has self-control with a sense of time and an ability to relate to others. If a person is determined by one's current capacities then a child or adult with mental handicap is not considered a person, according to his definition. By the same standard, someone who is unconscious or sick or even asleep could be killed because they're not demonstrating superior intellect and skills. Aren't you glad a university professor at Virginia doesn't dictate who is and is not a person, but rather the Word of God? We were created in the very image of God, and we have a value that is is so much greater than anything else that God created. I'll share a few stats with you. There are 2,367 abortions a day in the United States. 2,367 that will take place today on average. You break it down, that's 98 an hour, 1.6 every minute. In our nation, uh, at eight weeks, which is generally before a mother will tell people that she's pregnant. Generally, they wait 10, 12 plus weeks to start telling people that they are pregnant. At eight weeks, a baby in the womb can suck their thumb. They can recoil from pricking. All of their vital organs are present. The heart is pumping and the brain is functioning at eight weeks. At 21 weeks, the baby can survive outside the womb in some cases. Babies have their own DNA They have their own blood type. They have their own fingerprints. So the case, my body, my choice, doesn't really apply when someone inside of you has a totally separate identity than you do. A different DNA, different fingerprints, different blood type. Post-abortive care is for women who have an abortion. And these agencies that we support provide care for women after the fact 
Planned Parenthood doesn't do it. They don't know what post-abortive care is. So then really, who cares for the women and the children? The media, our culture, they have manipulated us and preconditioned us into believing a lie, and that is the perversion of the fight. Number two, notice with me the purpose of the fight. The purpose of the fight. You know, a lot of fights that we have today don't really have a good point. I don't know if you've ever had this in your marriage, but most of the fights that you have within your marriage are due to issues with communication. That's what the statistics say. Have you ever been in a fight with your spouse? And um, generally, men will think this. Women are, are talking and they're upset about something and the man thinks to himself, what are, what are we fighting about anyway? Like, how did this start? What, what can we go back to? And sometimes the women will say, hey, what are we fighting about anyway? And a lot of the fights that we fight don't really have a good point. And so, Jason, you're, you're telling us that we're in a fight, but what's really the point? I mean, this is really heavy for a Sunday morning in mid-February. Like, what are we doing here? What is the point? You're not pregnant, Jason. You're not planning on having an abortion, right? Good, me neither, so can we move on? I'm not a congressman. I'm not writing laws and bills. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, you think we'll overturn Roe v. Wade? I don't know. Maybe that will get overturned and maybe it never will in my lifetime. But that's, that's not my concern. That piece of legislation may never be overturned. But what we cannot change in policy, we must change in practice. I'm not looking to stop abortions globally or nationally. I, could, I would if I could, but I, I can't. What can we do on a local level? What can we do in our community? According to a January 2021 report, nearly 15% of all abortions in North Carolina occurred in Forsyth and Guilford County. Raise your hand if you live in Forsyth or Guilford County. Let me see your hands. Most of us. I'm not talking about global abortion anymore. I'm not talking about America. I'm not even talking about our state. This, these happen within driving distance of your home, within driving distance of this church. 15% of all abortions in our state take place in our backyard. 15%. A few more stats. North Carolina abortions by year. In 2013, we had 19,818 abortions. You can look up these stats as well. I gave you the source. We topped 20,000 in 2014, 23,495 in 2019, and 25,000 is what we topped in 2020. These are the stats for our state. Now, I'm not talking about New York or California or any of the other states that you may know people at. This is here at home in North Carolina, 25,000 abortions in 2020. According to Pro-Choice North Carolina, there are 15 clinics providing these abortions. When I read that stat, I thought there have to be more than that, but there aren't. There's 15 licensed clinics in the state uh, that can administer abortions. We sponsor a mobile unit that parks in our parking lot every Tuesday. We took up a, an offering for the mobile unit, and we let them use our parking lot every Tuesday. And they provide free ultrasounds for women in our community who are pregnant and expecting a baby. You say, why, why do you do stuff like that? Because according to PolitiFact, more than 90% of women that consider an abortion decide not to have one after seeing an ultrasound. That's amazing. You, you see an ultrasound and... Uh, for those of you that have kids, you've ever gone to one of those and you, you, you see movement in there and it's crazy. There's movement and then you can hear the heartbeat. Dun, 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 dun. It's crazy. You hear the heartbeat and you see movement and you, you realize this is, this is not a blob. This is not a fetus. I can't tell that it looks like me, but this is a child. This has its vital organs. This, this is a real person inside. 90% of women reconsider after seeing that. 
we may not be able to affect global change. We may not be able to affect national change. But I think we can do something in our community. Here's the point. Two thoughts here concerning the purpose in our fight for life. Two reasons. Number one is to expose the fraud. To expose the fraud. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. In the last couple months, we got to get together with some family that I don't normally get to see. And uh, it's always tense, you know, when you're around people that you don't normally see because your views and their views are different and your family, and so you're at the table together, and it's okay. And so right before we were eating, I was talking with a family member that I hadn't seen in some time, and, and she said to me, tell, me, tell me about what you do at the church. And so I, I started talking about some of the things that I do, and I, I kind of parked on missions, and I said, you know, we're really huge on missions right now at our church. I said, we're doing two missions trips a year. I said, we're trying to do one foreign and one domestic, and we're trying to go see missionaries that we actually support on a monthly basis. In June, uh, I think we're taking 18 or 19 to Spain. We've got two missionaries in Spain, and we're going to spend a little over a week there And uh, we've got our group set for that. We're going to Spain to see two missionaries. And then in July, we're going to Colorado. We've got a church planter out there in Lakewood, just on the other side of Denver. He's been there about three years, and uh, our group is still open for that. And if any of you are interested in going with us to Denver, we're still open. You can come with us. Uh, But we're taking a group to Spain, and and we're taking a group to, to Colorado both this year. And she said, well, are you doing anything for the homeless? And I said, yeah, we are. I said, we, we support the local rescue mission, and they're, we have a great relationship with them, and they're getting people off the streets. And you know, we support local, you know, we got foreign missions, and we got domestic missions, and then we got local. And I started talking about the rescue mission and crisis control and you know, some of the ministries that we support monthly. And I said, we're really huge on pro-life efforts. We support an organization called Love Life, and we support Salem Pregnancy Center, and we support the Pregnancy Network, and We've got a mobile unit in our parking lot, and I kind of got a little bit of a rhythm here. And she said, um, just so you know, I'm pro-choice. And that was my hint to back down. And so I, I doubled down, as I sometimes do. And she said, well, I'm pro-choice, just so you know. And I said, yeah, a lot of people are. It's very popular to be pro-choice today. I said, but, you know, Jesus was pro-life. You know, he said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. And uh, he said, let the little children come unto me. And he said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. These are the things that Jesus said. So while you may be pro-choice, I'm pro-life because I believe Jesus was pro-life. Silence. And then someone in the other room said, hey, it's time to eat. I said, oh, let's go. It's time to go. Come on, let's go sit at the table and eat together. It didn't come up again, but it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Standing up for something that you believe in, something as precious as life itself. We're talking about the purpose of life. It's to expose the fraud. You got a picture of my dog still? Show, show Kobe one more time. This is, this is my dog. I, I like my dog. And I enjoy hanging out with my dog. And he can do some cool tricks. And dogs are cool. And a lot of you have dogs. A lot of you have pets. And, and I, I like dogs. This is my nephew. Knox, Tillman Schuler, and Justin and Kayla had him about a month ago. He's sleeping, so I don't want to wake him up. Do you, do you see the, the picture on the screen? Do you see the difference? This is a child who was created in the image of his parents 
but with greater weight, was created in the image of God. And he has fingers and he has toes, and God's got a beautiful purpose for his life. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you it's greater than the purpose God has for the life of my dog, because this is a child that was created in the image of God. Now, if I were to do something, and I'm not, I would never do this, but just for illustration's sake, hypothetically, if I were to go to a mother of a, uh, uh, let's see, uh, if I were to go to a female dog, and she was pregnant with 10 puppies, and the day before she was to give birth to those 10 puppies, imagine if I went into that female dog, and I brutally beat her, and murdered her, and killed her puppies. If you were to hear about that, you would think, that's sick, it's twisted, and disgusting, and you should be arrested for that. You would have me committed if I were to do that to a dog right before she gave birth to her puppies. But yet, we somehow don't get worked up when children, like this one, and their lives are taken. Why do we not get worked up about that? I'm not against your dogs or your cats or your pets, but none of them were created in the image of God like this little guy is. This is the fight of our lives. This is the fight that we're after today. I'm not against any of the other issues that you want to have. I just, I don't see this as a political issue. I see it as a moral issue. I see it as a scriptural issue. I see it as the fight of our lives. And he did a great job. Thank you. This is a child that was created in the very image of God. And we don't have a problem with 2,300 and some being aborted every day. There's something wrong with our culture. There's something wrong with us. We've been fed a lie, and I want to expose that today. The purpose is to expose the fraud. Let her be under this point to experience the forgiveness. I don't want you to miss this point. Because there are people listening to me in this room, and there are people listening to me on our live stream who have had an abortion. You have. And I want you to know that you made a mistake and you likely knew that you made a mistake as it was happening or shortly after it had happened. You knew it. And can I just tell you, wherever you are, however you're listening, you cannot out the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Because the Apostle Paul proclaimed himself to be the worst of sinners who had ever lived. Historians estimate that Saul of Tarsus persecuted and personally murdered 2,000 Christians before he wrote half the New Testament. And, and he wasn't aborting babies. He was aborting full-grown Christian adults. And God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And so it doesn't matter that you've had an abortion it doesn't matter what kind of sins that you've committed in your life. You can come back from that because God offers you his forgiveness. And you cannot sin the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. So when we argue that God could never forgive me for what I've done, Jason, I did it. I had an abortion or I was complicit in one or I financed one or I manipulated someone into one. I did it. I sinned. You did. But you cannot sin the mercy and the grace of God. You cannot change what you did then. 
but you can't change what you do next. There is grace for you. There is mercy for you. There is reconciliation and love and forgiveness for you. God wants to forgive you, but some of you have to learn to forgive yourself for what you've done and accept his forgiveness. I'm not condemning you. If you're here today or you're watching online, our church doesn't condemn you. Because the only one who could condemn us was God, and as he dropped his rock, he said, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you either, God says, and I could have. But I don't. I extend forgiveness. If that's you, we have ministries in this church that walk for life. We advocate for life. We sidewalk counsel for life. And if you've experienced what I'm talking about today, I can tell you your story has the potential to be the most powerful story of all. Because if I share a testimony about abortion that hasn't really affected me that much and you share one, your story is way more powerful than mine because you've been there and you know what it's like and you experience the forgiveness and love of God. There is redemption and reconciliation and restoration. You can find freedom and forgiveness here. This is the purpose of the fight. The perversion of the fight, the purpose of the fight, number three, and I'm almost finished. The power in the fight. The power in the fight. This point is the most important, but it also happens to be the most brief. James 5.16 says, The prayer of the righteous has great power. We have three major clinics in our area that provide abortions, and I want to call them out today. Here they are. Planned Parenthood on Maplewood in Winston-Salem, Hallmark Women's Clinic on Cleveland Avenue in Winston, and a Woman's Choice on Randleman Road in Greensboro. Woman's Choice is where we'll meet for our walk right around there. We'll walk around that abortion clinic and pray. These are the companies locally in our neighborhood, in our community, that support abortion. Of the 15 in our state, three of them are here 15% of all abortions in our state take place at these clinics here. I'm not against these people. Uh, I'm not fighting against these people. I don't wish any ill will toward these people, but I am praying that they go out of business. I'm praying that they go out of business. And um, that's all it is, by the way, if you know that. It's business. It's business to them. Just ask them what their post-abortive care is like for women that come into their clinics. It doesn't exist. You want to fight with us? You're going to have to fight on your knees. I'm not asking you to buy boxing gloves. I'm not asking you to lace them up today. But the real power is in something that none of us have. It's in prayer. In a moment, I'm going to ask all of you who are willing to join in the fight of prayer. In a minute, I'm going to ask all of you who are willing to do that to come forward, and we're going to have a time of corporate prayer here together in just a moment. We are in a battle, whether you believe it or not, whether you want to take action or not, we're in it. But the battle does not belong to us. The battle is the Lord's. And although it may not not ever change in policy, it must change in practice, and that happens through prayer. I want to tread lightly with what I'm about to say, but I've given it some considerable thought this week. If, um, If it were possible for us to get into a time machine and travel back to America in the 1850s, in the time when, in our country, slavery was at its peak. Slavery didn't originate here. It was going on for hundreds of years before America, but we propagated it as well here in America. If we could get into a time machine and we could travel just 150 years back to the 1850s, we would be appalled and, and really horrified at the ways in which people of color were treated. We would. 
we'd be embarrassed. And you know what we'd want to do? We would want to say to the people treating people of color this way, we would want to shake them and say, do you not understand that this person was created in the image of God just like you? How could you treat them this way? That's what we would say, and we would be angry about it, and rightfully so. But that was 150 years ago. I think we've made some strides in our country in the last 150 years. I think we've made some strides in the last 50 years. I don't think the system that we have today is perfect by any means. We can all agree that it's better today than it was then. I believe, um, I'll tell you this story too. We have another photo I'll share. Slavery was not just in America. It was going on long before uh, we knew there was land over on this side of the water. This is a picture I took when we went to Mozambique back in 2020. This is a fortress. What the people would do in Mozambique, this was in the 14 and 1500s, the people of Portugal would actually come down to the island, they would come down to Mozambique, and they would kidnap people for slavery. And they would would beat them in the head, and they would kidnap them, and they would throw them in the hull of a ship down in the bottom of the boat. And right off the coast, just a couple miles off the coast of Mozambique, is the island of Mozambique. And we support a missionary there, which is why we were there. And what they would do is they would come in the night and they would, they would beat these men from Mozambique and they would throw them in the bottom of the ship. And then all night for eight to ten hours, they would get in the boat and they would just circle the island of Mozambique. And by the time the morning came, they would get these men and they would unload them on the island of Mozambique, which was just a couple miles off the coast of where they were. And they would bring them into this fortress. And they thought that they were countries away, thousands of miles away, when really their families were just on the other side of that water. And what they would do is right through this gate, that's why I'm not smiling in this photo, because on the other side of this door, they would never see their families again. This was a holding cell for slaves back in the 14, 1500s. And they would never see their families again. And they would send them through that door to be gone forever. Now, if we could go back 150 years to America we would be repulsed at the way people of color were treated. Hey, if we could go back six, seven hundred years, we could go back generations of generations and say, hey, do you not understand this is a person who was created in the image of God just like you? How can you treat them this way? It is in much the same way that I believe generations from now, people will look back on this generation and they will see what we are doing to the unborn at the rate of 2,000 plus abortions a day, and they would want to say to us, how can you treat them this way? Do you not understand that this is a person who was created in the image of God, just like you? Stop what you're doing. You can't do this. Why are you so passionate about this? Because I believe this is the fight of our lives. It's the fight of our lives and we've got to lace them up. This is our time, because generations from now, they will look back and regret what we did today, just like we look back and regret other atrocities that happened in human history. What will we do in our generation to see life move forward today? Let's pray. As our praise team comes this morning, I want to conduct a different kind of invitation. I want you to know that the altar's always open, If you have a need and you would like to come, we'd love to have you. If you've never 
met Jesus, the ultimate giver of life, he wants to have a relationship with you today. And today you can accept him by faith and make him Lord of your life. And I believe based on the authority of God's word, he would save you today, regardless of the sins you've committed. William Carey was the father of modern missions, and he said, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Rather, it is the greater work. Nothing significant happens apart from prayer. In a few moments, as the music begins to play, I'm going to ask everyone who will commit to praying every day this week for life to go forward in our community to save the unborn. In a moment, I'll ask you to come. I wear a yellow wristband on my hand every day of my life. And it serves as a reminder to me that back in 2016, I had cancer. And every day that I get to live since then, I see as a gift. Not a day goes by where I don't feel a sense of gratitude for the life that I live. Today, all over the auditorium, we have ministry volunteers from our all ministry who would provide you with a wristband that will just be a reminder to wear this week and pray. Not all of you are going to be able to come to the walk on Saturday, and I understand that. Not all of you are going to be able to fast on Wednesday, but everyone can do something. And if you're willing to do the one something that you can do, it's prayer. We're not going to affect global change or national change until we do something on a community level. So this morning, I'd ask you to stand all over the room. We have people positioned all throughout the aisles. If you will commit to pray with us this week, I want you to take a wristband, come to the front, and we're going to have a full community of prayer. I don't want to put any pressure on you to come, but last service we had a good turnout, and we just want to pray for life. We may run out of wristbands, and I don't care. We have wristbands at the front. Put it on your wrist. It'll remind you this week to pray for the life of the unborn. And once you get one, just make your way up all the way around here to the front. Come up and fill in all the space. We're going to have a time of prayer as a church and as a community for the unborn lives in our society. Prayer does not equip us for the greater work. It is the greater work. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous accomplishes much. If anyone will ask in my name, he shall receive. Just come on, make your way to the front this morning. Fill in all this area here. We're just going to have a time of prayer at the front as a church family. We cannot affect global change or national change, but we can do something in our community today. 15% take place here at home. And today we're going to have a time of prayer. Come on to the front, fill in the gaps. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. The verse that all of us knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but what should they have? Everlasting life. He came so that we could have life. We're not trying to walk on uh, Washington, D.C. We're not trying to establish a bill from Congress. We're not trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. We are praying for God to do something in our community today that we will see for generations to come. Let's pray these abortion clinics out of business this week. God, we come to you this morning as a church family. We can't do much. We don't have the influence or the power to overturn things on a national level and certainly a global one. But God, we can do something in our community today. These that are coming are committing for the simple thing to make prayer a priority this week on the matter of life. Lord, we are so thankful for your love for us and the life that you've given us. I pray that we would be active in prayer to see these abortion clinics closed down, 
to see women change their minds and change their hearts about their unborn children and that we would see life in our community in an amazing way. God, we'll never see it on a grand scale unless we do what we can do here at home. And God, by your power and by your strength, we ask you today that we would see life go out in our community. God, that we would see uh, hearts turn to you, that we would see women that have participated in such things before have a testimony of grace and of mercy and of forgiveness to then be a powerful testimony for others considering an abortion. God, I pray that as we consider life and as we pray for life in our community, God, that you would be pleased in that. We're so thankful for the life that you've given to us. God, I pray that we would be faithful to prayer this week for the life that you want to give to all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can go back to your seats. The praise team is going to lead us in an invitation song, and then we'll be dismissed this morning.